The CDC says coronavirus cases in the U.S. are likely anywhere between two and 13 times higher than testing would suggest. If you've spent most of the pandemic snacking, we have the perfect video for you, courtesy of Luba Magnus and Meg McKay. And things in Portland are getting more intense as the administration is doubling down on its decision to deploy federal forces into major cities. We're talking with Bellingcat's Robert Evans about the situation on the ground there. The date, July 21st, 2020. The time is o'clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. So I saw earlier today that Alex Trebek, blessings upon his name, was on Good Morning America. And when asked who he would want to follow him up as host of Jeopardy, suggested one Miss Betty White. (laughs) Yes. I think he like responded with something like he's like, you know what? I always joke around that I want that fans want someone funnier and younger than me. And I'm Uh, like, oh, what a good joke. Because Betty White is 98 years old, right? She's so old. Yes. it's Betty White (laughs) is one of those people who I think like maybe once a year. How old is Betty White? And every year it's just a little bit older. And it's like, wow. Good for you, Betty White. And I'm shocked because she is. She's funny. She's thriving. She's Betty White. <laughs> and I would still love to see her as host of Jeopardy. We, oh, I hope please they make this happen at some point, just for an episode or two. That's all I want. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. By the time you're listening to this, the president will have restarted his daily coronavirus briefings. While he did manage to stay surprisingly on script today, here's some information you probably won't have heard if you listened in. European Union leaders agreed to spend over $850 billion to get Europe's economy back on track after the coronavirus. There was no guarantee that the measure would pass before today, given deep divisions and infighting between the Union's 27 countries over the size and scope of the recovery fund. Two more potential coronavirus vaccines have shown promise, provoking immune system responses in test subjects. One is being developed at Oxford University in the UK in conjunction with the pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca. The other is the brainchild of the CanSino company in China. The Oxford candidate is currently recruiting subjects to be part of its phase three large-scale testing. But data from the CDC released today shows that the rate of infection in some parts of the U.S. could be anywhere from two to 13 times higher than testing is indicating. Labs that process COVID-19 tests have been overwhelmed in recent weeks as the virus has surged in states around the country. The CDC study focused on antibody testing and concluded that many of the people who were showing no symptoms were spreading the virus without realizing it. Meanwhile, St. Louis's top prosecutor has filed charges against two lawyers who brandished guns at Black Lives Matter's protesters last month. The two lawyers in question are a husband and wife duo named Mark and Patricia McCloskey. On June 28th, protesters passed by their home during their march through a gated community, which prompted the McCloskeys to stand on the steps of their very large home with Patricia holding a pistol and Mark holding an assault rifle. Footage of the two packing heat drew criticism from across the internet, given the poor trigger discipline that the two showed and the extremely waspy outfits they were wearing at the time. But St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner decided it was no laughing matter, filing felony charges of unlawful use of a weapon against the two of them. But Missouri Governor Mike Parson told Fox News' Sean Hannity last night that he's absolutely going to pardon the McCloskeys if they're convicted. Parson also said that he spoke with President Trump, who agreed that the McCloskeys were just defending their property. And finally, 
President Trump signed a memo today aimed at excluding undocumented immigrants from being counted towards congressional redistricting after the 2020 census is completed. The results of the census are used to redraw districts both at the federal and state level, breaking down just how many seats in Congress a state gets or how state legislatures get divided up. Under the terms of this new memo, undocumented Americans will now be specifically excluded from the count when figuring out congressional districts, potentially dropping the number of seats that some of the bigger states have in the House of Representatives. Supporters of the order say that it's just making sure that votes count equally, since if a district has fewer people who can legally vote, those votes weigh heavier on the total. But opponents point out three key things. First, that the memo is positioned to overwhelmingly benefit Republicans, eliminating the mostly non-white undocumented population when tallying congressional seats. Second, they argue that counting non-voters makes sure that elected leaders represent everyone who depends on public services. And finally, the Supreme Court has previously barred the administration from trying to exclude undocumented people from the census altogether. This is just the latest workaround. Yeah, I I mean, these three points are great. It's pretty blatant that that's what's happening, too. You know, that this is leaning Republican. It's leading in favor of of white Republicans. Yeah, and it's something that I feel like we're probably going to see more of as we get closer to the election, where just what does Trump think that his base wants and how can he give it to them, given his, you know, not very great poll numbers right now and the fact that if the election were held today, he'd be losing to Joe Biden. So the president seems like he's pretty willing to do whatever he can throw at the wall to see if it sticks and actually helps him get reelected. Definitely. So, Casey, what do you got for the nice people out there today? Well, beauty giant Unilever reportedly punished Asian influencers who refused to peddle skin lightening products for them. We talked about this in a previous episode, but Unilever announced last month that it would stop using racist framing to push its skin lightening products. After the company was called out for praising Black Lives Matter while still pushing their products on people with darker skin, they dropped the brand name Fair and Lovely. But now, a new BuzzFeed news report says that Unilever's Sri Lankan branch threatened a journalist who refused to promote their skin lightening products. Former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Sri Lanka, Kanita Shinoy, told BuzzFeed News that when she pushed back on the products on her private Instagram, the company threatened to pull all its advertising from the magazine. Shinoy managed to get the issue resolved by reaching out directly to Unilever's then-CEO. But other influencers told BuzzFeed News that it's only the most established brands and celebrities who can afford to push back against companies selling skin lightening products. And in other news, the National Women's Soccer League announced on Tuesday that Los Angeles will be getting a new team, and it's in thanks in part to Natalie Portman and other famous women. The Investors Collective that put up the money for the new team is majority women and includes Portman, Serena Williams, America Ferreira, Uzo Aduba, Jessica Chastain, Jennifer Gardner, and Eva Longoria. In a statement, Portman said that she's, quote, thrilled by the opportunity to partner with this incredible group of people to bring a professional women's soccer team to Los Angeles. Together, we aim to build not only a winning team on the field, but also to develop a passionately loyal fan base. The National Women's Soccer League is currently in the middle of playing a one-off tournament meant to replace the season in light of the coronavirus pandemic. By the way, the semifinals are scheduled to be held tomorrow in case you're interested. 
There's no word on what the new LA team's name will be yet, but they're scheduled to hit the field in 2022. What do we think the new name should be? I've been thinking about this since I first learned about the story. I just like don't want it to be anything that's like cutesy, like bouncing off of the galaxy. Like I don't want to be mm. like the Milky Way. <laughs> no, that sounds weird and I don't like it. I, I do think that the stars kind of fits for LA, but I feel like there's got to be another LA True, another true, team true. in the league that has the stars. I don't know. Uh, really morbid won't be the Dahlias after the Black Dahlia murders. <laughs> oh my God. What? I don't know. It's what came to mind. A word association <laughs> happened there, Casey. <laughs> um, no, but I'm super excited. I come from like a really big soccer family. I would love, I've never been a season ticket holder of anything, but I'd love to be for this team. I will definitely be a part of the loyal fan base. And I know there are so many other people and fans, women and men alike, who want to mm-hmm. be a part of this loyal fan base, but you better believe that men on Twitter are being men on Twitter. Uh, and already, I've already seen responses to say, saying like, nobody's going to go and see it. They're never going to get a fan base or whatever. And we're being, it's like Ghostbusters mm, all over mm, again. Mm. Especially when the women soccer players in this country are much better than the men and deserve to be mm-hmm. paid as such in editorial. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> when we come back, journalist Robert Evans explains the situation in Portland. Stay right there, everyone. SheFit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, sir! Head over to NFLshop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, T-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com. Welcome back. Last week, videos circulated on Twitter showing people in camouflage grabbing a protester off a street in Portland and putting him into an unmarked van. Since then, we've learned that those people who detained the protester are members of a federal law enforcement task force sent to Portland, Oregon, to tamp down on what the Trump administration has called attacks by violent anarchists. The ACLU, U.S. senators and others, though, say that people's rights are being violated in the process. To help explain the situation in Portland, we're joined by Robert Evans, who has been covering it on the ground. Thank you for joining us, Robert. Thank you for having me. 
All right, Robert, there's a new level of attention being paid to the situation now, but as you wrote, this didn't all happen in a vacuum. What can you tell us about what the situation was like at the start of the protest in late May through, say, early July? What were the interactions between Portland police and protesters like? Oh, boy. Uh, interactions is an interesting way to frame it. So this all started on the, the 29th with a, well, it started a little earlier than that. A group of local activists kind of organized around a, a collective of uh, indigenous activists and other activists of color, like started an occupation of the uh, the Justice Center steps. And the Justice Center is Portland's police headquarters and also its jail. Um, so they were there for a couple of nights uh, and you know, eventually a group called the Youth Liberation Front, which is kind of a, a far left activist collective um, of teenagers, um, you know, joined them and they occupied the justice intercepts for a couple of nights. The police raided them a little bit. And then, um, you know, on the 29th, there was a mass gathering at Peninsula Park. And this rally started with a march from Peninsula Park all the way down to the Justice Center. And by the time they got there, another, you know, a crowd had grown around the Justice Center. There was also like a thousand people. So these two huge crowds meet and kind of spontaneously, and I, I think really driven by the um, the burning of the third precinct in Minneapolis, there was just kind of this feeling in the air. I think if you knew Portland and you knew, like had any sort of feeling for the streets of the city, it became very obvious at a certain point, like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to try to destroy the justice center. And, um, then the police showed up, um, and they, uh, they gave everyone, you know, a warning, which gave, you know, people who had families time to get away, which was, uh, uh, gentlemanly of them, especially compared to what came next. Uh, and then they started tear gassing and, you know, I would say that that Friday night, uh, the 29th was, um, absolutely a riot and was Portland still what I, I would consider Portland's only, like real riot in the traditional sense where just a bunch of people are, um, are doing damage to chunks of the city. Like it was absolutely a riot. And I think it was our only one because the very next day, um, activists were much more subdued. Uh, but that day is kind of when the police violence really started the 30th. So between that time to early July, say protests were still going on, but it never reached that level of violence from protesters at least. Uh, so what was the police response like though? pretty extreme. You know, uh, that, that rally in the 30th started with police just beating people in the face and body with truncheons to get them out of this intersection. You know, the, the moment that's really stuck in my mind is this, this older man fell down, um, in front of the police knocked to the ground and a woman like threw herself on his body to protect him. And there were just like three officers just beating them both with truncheons. Another like officer lost his stick in the melee and just started running through the crowd, like pummeling a man with his fists. Uh, and then they tear gas all of downtown. So not just this crowd of protesters, um, but you know, hundreds of people in traffic, uh, they were like huge shot. And that, that became a pattern that was repeated for nights and nights and nights. Um, and so then after that, you know, there, there was this kind of constant debate about police use of force tactics that always seemed to center around tear gas because it was the easy thing to focus on. Um, but the reality of it was, you know, the, the Portland police continued to use kind of as much violence as they could get away with. You know, they, they got a, you know, a court injunction put against the use of tear gas, but it had an exception for like situations in which lives are at risk and who gets to decide, you know, when the Portland police feel lives are at risk, it's the Portland police. Mm. So you told the New York times that things really shifted on the 4th of July. What happened that night? Well, the 4th of July, um, was, you know, we, we had been having 
things have been going on for 30, 39 days at that point. And, um, it started to get, uh, the, the, the kind of crowds were starting to get smaller and smaller. And on the fourth, that trend got bucked finally. And like more than a thousand people showed up, they filled the, uh, the area in front of the justice center and the, uh, the federal courthouse. And they brought with them hundreds and hundreds of illegal fireworks. And they started shooting fireworks up first, just up into the air in front of the justice center to like make a fireworks show for the people who were incarcerated inside. A lot of whom were like activists who'd been locked up, but then this folks got the idea. And it was, it was partly because after doing this for a while and shooting a firework close to these buildings, the police LRAD, the sound cannon thing that they used to warn people started telling them not to shoot fireworks at the federal courthouse. And whenever you tell a crowd in Portland not to do something as long as that's, what's going to be done next. And so what was happening kind of evolved from this firework, show to people assaulting the courthouse by shooting rockets at it. And so the federal agents inside dropped open these like murder holes in the front of the building, these holes that they get to shoot out of. And they were just firing impact rounds into the crowd while the crowd was like holding up shields and shooting rockets into them. And, you know, eventually the feds dumped enough tear gas and then charged out and sort of like forced everyone out of the park. But this, this crowd stayed together. And for like really the first time in the Portland streets, we had a crowd that like, like refused repeatedly to be dispersed and eventually escaped the police after like a running street battle. But eventually like the crowd got away intact and then marched back and reoccupied the justice center. And that was really in a lot of ways, a prelude to what happened last night at the courthouse was this, um, you know, you, you, you had this crowd do the thing that, that had seemed impossible before, which was like stay together and uh, and not lose all of its numbers, despite being repeatedly shot at, bull rushed by police. And the police were extremely violent on the fourth. Right. So you, you're saying uh, the police, but also federal law enforcement. Uh, the, the president's executive order earlier this month authorized those federal officers that we've seen in Portland on the grounds they were needed to protect federal property. Is it just this courthouse that they're saying is under threat of being damaged? Is that why all, they're claiming all these officers are necessary? Well, it's not just the courthouse that's really at risk because, um, or th- that's re- like this that this started for. Because kind of one of the things that that inspired, I think, the president to do this was people in Portland along with people in other cities were um, tearing down statues. You know, there's Thomas Jefferson statue, and George Washington statue, and so if you look at the the letter of the president's executive order, the the Homeland Security forces here, like that's kind of their um. Uh, or what the president is sort of saying is their is their legal job is to like protect monuments. So technically, like any statue in the city, they could be sent out to protect. Now, the only place we've seen them so far is in and around the federal courthouse. Like that's the only place they've really been active. On the fourth, they did march with the police and were coordinating with them directly. And kind of as this has become a bigger and bigger story. You know, there there was a period of about two weeks where the feds and the police were working together, and the police seemed to really enjoy having them around because the federal agents have way more weapons than the police, all sorts of crazy different crowd control weapons. So in the last week, the stories of protesters being snatched off the streets have been horrifying and galvanizing people. How has that changed the mood in the past week of protests? Well, that's been that's been pretty huge. Um, you know, after that story broke and started to go viral, people in Portland started coming out again in larger numbers. And then kind of it was a mix of that and the president declaring that Portland had been quelled. And then, of course, we had... Um, 
we had Chad Wolf, the acting DHS secretary, come to town. And so all of these things kind of happened within a couple of days of each other. And suddenly you started seeing more people showing up at actions and showing up in the streets. And like, you know, the, the kind of first big action of this new stage of things, when Lou was kind of really revitalized by President Trump and making Portland such an issue, was a, a crowd on Saturday that gathered and marched on the North Precinct. Um, and, you know, the police started preparing on the North Precinct to clear everybody out. And then the crowd marched away. And this crowd showed up at the Portland Police Association headquarters, and they had stolen a march on the police. So the crowd got to the police union building, and there were no police around it. So everybody surrounded the building in burning barricades, and the crowd began chanting, what did you see? We didn't see shit. What did you see? We didn't see shit. As a group of people at the front broke down the door of the police union building and started lighting fires inside of it. And then on Sunday... Or that at that same time, actually, at the crowd, as the crowd lit the um, the union building on fire in downtown, a group of local mothers um, had sort of massed up in the um, the area in front of the federal courthouse, and they were specifically worried about the feds and the snatch fans. And um, while the police union building was being sacked, this crowd approached the fence in front of the federal courthouse and shook it, and federal agents tear gassed all these moms. Um, so the next night, a uh, way more of them came out, uh, and they surrounded the federal courthouse again, along with a bunch of other activists, like a good crowd of well over a thousand people. And it was one of these situations where like you had all these, these, you know, mothers, mostly middle-aged who I, I, you know, hadn't been doing actions, who hadn't maybe done anything like this since they were much younger if they'd ever done it at all. Um, but they were there and they were like willing to act as human shields against the federal agents. But they also were like willing to, what got really interesting is they, they expressed a willingness to kind of be provocative with the rest of the crowd. So the situation is still so fluid there yeah. in Portland, but we know that Trump has plans to send federal law enforcement, Chicago and other major cities as well. Given what you've seen so far, what do you think the situation is going to be like, uh, in these other cities? You th- see, these other cities reacting the way that Portland has over this last week? You know, I don't know. I'm shocked at Portland, right? Like I've been at this for 50 something days. I'm not shocked to see crowds of dedicated activists confronting law enforcement on the street. What's shocking about Portland is the extent to which people who I would never have expected to see at a protest or an action are showing up and showing up specifically being like, I am going to get tear gas tonight and I'm going to participate in the federal crime. Like people are right, it's becoming like a really norm core revolution out there. Yeah, it's bizarre. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Robert. Robert Evans is a writer for Bellingcat and the host of the Behind the Bastards podcast. It's time for Meanwhile on the Internet. And today we have to tell you about one of the most reassuring videos to be published since this pandemic began. Twitter user at Luba Magnus tweeted it out this morning saying, for everyone who's put on a few extra pounds during the pandemic, this one's for you. I got a bit squishy during COVID. I shouldn't be surprised. How can I resist a quarantine pizza? COVID-19 cuisine, social distance. The positivity and self-love in this little animated video is just so good. We reached out to the animator Luba Magnus, who told us all about how she made the video with Meg McKay, who voiced it. 
I reached out to Meg beginning of July, I think July 2nd, and it took me until three in the morning this morning to finish. <laughs> so it was a lot of work. I'm so glad Meg was a part of it. We're both stand-up comics here in Toronto, and we've worked together on cartoons that I made before. She's so great, and I'm so glad that people are appreciating this video. It was so much fun to make, and I'm so glad. <laughs> And we absolutely had to ask her about her favorite pandemic snack. My go-to pandemic snack is chips, but the tiny bags of chips, because then it feels like a snack no matter how many bags of tiny chips that I eat. So (laughs) that's my go-to. And uh, that's it. Thank you again so much for reaching out and for your support. And yeah, very appreciated. Thank you. Those little bags of chips are dangerous. They're one of the things I miss the most from being in the BuzzFeed (laughs) offices was the little bags of chips. Oh, yes, 100 percent. Yesterday, I uh, had a bad day. And so I ate hot Cheeto fries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, As one does. Hostess vanilla icing snacks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Some Captain Crunch. Yes. Some taffy. Saltwater taffy, like or taffy taffy. Okay, the good stuff. Okay, saltwater taffy, (laughs) and some some leftover Panda Express. So yeah, you could say I'm doing well. Yeah, you're doing great, (laughs) amazing. Ah, my pandemic snacks have like really shifted throughout the crisis. Like at the start, it was like, all right, so I'm gonna have like a decentish, healthy breakfast every day. I'm gonna have my little toast with cream cheese and everything, like seasonings and an Mm -hmm. apple, and Mm -hmm. that has devolved heavily since then i have <laughs> my pandemic snacks are basically okay microwave popcorn and peanut butter sandwich it is delightful i did love this video though because it's like okay i feel like everyone's been like don't worry about the weight you've put on everyone's gaining weight it's a pandemic you just need to survive right now and it's like okay yeah but i can't see anyone else <laughs> the only person i can see is me right <laughs> and i'm just like and i'm just like oh so this video made me feel a little bit better because it's just like a jolly illustrated song and it's just like lifted my spirits same i feel much better about all of my choices up until this point luba is a stand-up comic and animator in toronto and you can find the full i gained weight during covid video on her twitter account and even more of her work on instagram at at drawn up comedy That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we talk with the winner of season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race and one of the stars of HBO's series, We're Here, Bob the Drag Queen. And remember, your snacks are valid. All snacks are valid. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. 
We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, and I'm doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. <laughs> listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.